everyone. This is Dan from The Goods, a film podcast. I'm excited to share my conversation with Jason Coolis, the star of the famously bad film After Last Season from 2009, directed by Mark Region, which we discussed on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. Thanks to Jason for chatting with me, and here we go. I was a sports writer in college, and then I did one internship as a sports writer, but that was maybe 10 almost 15 years ago, and I have not done too many interviews yet, so I apologize if I'm rusty here, but I appreciate it. We could just be a conversation, you know? Well, this is the first time I've ever spoken, like, by voice about after last season in public to anyone, so you win the internet. <laughs> I'm rusty on giving interviews because I've never given one. When people wanted to voice one before, I just said, no, let's just exchange questions and answers typing them. So, um, yeah, you win the internet. You're Wow. It's your first interview in a long time, and it's my first one ever about after last season. I am honored. Yeah, thank you. I was not doing them in the past, and now I figured, ah, whatever. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with that. So, I mean, do you still consider yourself an actor? It's been about, what, 12, 13 years since after last season? Yeah, um, I still do projects. Uh, you know, the pandemic's obviously put a big hitting things. Um, and I'm raising a little three-year-old boy. So that takes up a lot of my time. So I don't, I don't act nearly as much as I would like to. Um, it, you know, a lot of my plans did not go the direction that I was hoping, but, um, I still do like 48 hour films because they're fun. Even though I, don't. I have a film that a short film that I think is going to be pretty good, but it's just been an endless editing because of some issues with the editor. They dropped out and they had to get another one. Um, and uh, what I have been able to keep up on is um, essentially radio teleplays. We started going to this radio station and there's this really good local writer. He's very prolific. And uh, he writes comedies, dramas, and adaptations of public domain things and inspired sequels and parodies and all and episodic things, short things, long form. And we would record it in a radio station and we're actually broadcast around the world on radio stations. Oh, wow. Not many, I think it's like 30 or 40 stations, but we're also on like podcasts and YouTube and websites. So I get to keep doing that. And we were doing it in a radio station, but then the pandemic hit, radio stations still will not allow us back to do that. So now we do it over Zoom, but we do keep doing that. So it's a way for me to, you know, and that's easy because I don't even have to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. It's like uh, I hear voice actors, especially like celebrities, you know, they'll they'll get a pitch for some project and then, they oh, you could do voice acting in your house for three or four hours. And then that's like the whole job. I imagine, you know, it's not to say there's not a lot. There's not an art to it, but in some ways, being able to do it from home is a little bit easier. Yeah, I just, you know, it's less time. Also, I don't even need to memorize, um, although I have to work up a bunch of accents for some of the projects. <laughs> but um, so, yes, I consider myself still an actor. I just don't do as much as I used to or would like to. But and by the way, I'm right there with you. I have a three year old daughter and a five year old daughter. So it's a busy time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think pretty much any conversation with after last season is kind of framed around the perspective that this is a famously critically panned film yep. a f film that doesn't have the highest reputation yep and i guess i'm curious what's your relationship with the fact that you were in a film that's kind of known for being bad i mean do you feel how, how do you feel about that well okay before i answer that i'm just gonna like put a disclaimer on some of my comments yeah like part of and it's part of the goes to the reason why i wouldn't do voice interviews in the past you know people like you've seen famous hollywood actors eventually do some really terrible embarrassing projects 
and they don't go on talk shows and badmouth them. They just don't talk about them. And so when I got most of the requests, which, you know, most of them were, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, um, mm -hmm. I just thought, well, I don't know if I can dance around the questions they might ask me off the cuff live. And I don't want to be unprofessional and like tear apart the project. So I just won't do voice interviews. And like, I've done a lot of paid gigs in improv comedy. I've been in a lot of improv comedy troops. And obviously after last season, it's pretty fertile territory. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there with that. Um, and the other reason, and obviously like, okay, everyone knows the film's bad. Professionalism aspect isn't really an issue anymore. Uh, but you know, all of my written comments so far, I'm, I'm kind of circumspect in them. And, and I don't know how much I'll rein myself in during this. And it's an issue of um, kindness towards Mark, because from all that I know, and I'm, I, I, you know, I don't know the guy that well, but from all that I know of him, he's like an honest, hardworking, passionate, decent person. And it's my belief that the reaction to the film hurt his feelings very much. And that's a shame. Um, and I've always felt like, uh, I don't want to say something or write something that will be just one more person hurting his feelings. Oh, in this case now it's his lead actor, especially with this film. So like, I, I mean, I've, I've listened to your podcast about, I didn't realize you were doing a pre podcast about after season before doing our interview, but you did. And I saw it and I, I mean, I laughed at it. There are, I haven't watched the red letter media video yet because I just haven't had time, but I've read some of the YouTube comments and they're hilarious. But like, I'm like, I, I could easily go there. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to dogpile on on something. And that that was kind of my theory, too, with Mark. I mean, obviously, I've, I've never met him. And he's famously reclu reclusive at this point. You can't track him down to get, you know, anything on the record about this, at least that I've seen. And uh, me and my co-host, Brian, you know, we have an enthusiasm for cinema that can be regarded as so bad it's good or something along those lines. And part of that is out of respect that people are out there and doing what they're trying to do. And part of it is that sometimes you can find unexpected charms and things that don't follow the typical paradigm. And, you know, we may have came down kind of hard. I'm, <laughs> I, I guess I was wondering whether you would have caught up with our remarks on it, because obviously we, we came down on the negative side on it. But, you know, obviously none of that is intended to be disrespect on anyone involved in the, the, the production of it. So uh, so I, I have appreciation for people who are out there like you and, you know, like Mark, you know, whatever was going through his brain as he was making this, making that movie. And I, I think, too, that like and, and you know, no, I, 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 you know, when people skewer the film in extremely insightful and accurate ways, I laugh. Uh, we did it. The actors and some of well, not all the actors, but a couple of us actors on the set did that extremely quietly and privately amongst ourselves. Um, I've done it with my friends. I just don't, haven't done it publicly. Um, sure. And you know, like right when the film was getting released and in the weeks afterwards, like Mark had some very specific money-making opportunities thrown in his lap. Some of them via me, because people would contact me and say, what about this opportunity? What about this? You want to do this? I had some ideas and I would, I tried, to get Mark to bite on them. And he, he would not on any of them. And even years later, when the DVD was in demand and he would never do an on-demand, like Amazon has an on-demand printing thing. So you don't have to invest up front. You don't need any stock, whatever. And I was like, you could just do this. It would cost you no money and people could buy. And 
he wouldn't go for it. And, you know, fans are looking for the film. He would not make more prints. And, he, you know, he had a variety of uh, reasons why he wouldn't. But I, I think that they all really probably went back to the fact that he felt bad about the reception. Um, you know, for myself, you know, when I got the script, I read it and I'm like, uh, <laughs> not a good script. And the ending was sort of not written. Like there were storyboards and there was script, but towards the end, it was just mostly like, cause there's not much dialogue in the end anyway. Um, but there wasn't like in a traditional script, you would write out like the direction of what the actors are doing, why they're doing it, what they're, you know, like there would still be when there's no dialogue, there is still a script that's written. There was no writing. It was just like drawings that I couldn't make any sense of. I'm like, uh, this is not a good script. I'm like, but you know, my attitude has always been that like, when I accept a gig, I, I follow through and, and I honor the other people's time and effort. And so I'm like, you know, but I am getting paid a little bit of money for it. And at least it's all being shot in one block. It's not like four weekends that I'm going to drive to you know far away. So, you know, I wasn't thrilled with the script. And then I arrive and I'm like, oh, this is the sets. Like, you know, you could have borrowed or paid for or rented or like some other spaces that would be actual, like how hard can it be to find a vet hospital as a stand-in for a real hospital and an actual apartment building or an actual office building for an office building or like whatever. Um, so I'm like, uh, these are the sets. I'm like, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's, it's like I'm on a middle school play, <laughs> you know, and then the shooting process, which I will describe a little bit more later. But as I went through the shooting process, I'm like, this is not how you shoot a film. So, you know, I knew it was going to be bad. You know, some of the actors I barely had any time with and they were brand new. So I don't really know how they felt about things. Um, but the lead actress was experienced and she was in SAG and there were some other, and she was the one I spent the most time with. And the guy who played the doctor, he was in SAG and he was an experienced actor. Like we knew it wasn't good, you know, and, and, you know, the, the meme on set was like, oh, it'll get fixed in post. You know, get, they're going to CGI. Every time we brought up an issue about, they're like, oh, well, we'll just CGI that later. Like, literally, that was the answer. I'm like, wow, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to make traveling mats for all of us and green screen us all in and whatever. Because I mean, there were no green screens, so like, right, we're right. not going to fix this all in post. So I knew it wasn't going to be a good film. And then I saw the trailers, and you know, I would say that. Um, I knew it was not going to be a good film. And then I would say that even just from the trailers, I'm like, uh, this is going to be worse than I thought it was going to be. Because um, because obviously when I'm on set, I don't see the framing. I can't really see the lighting. I don't know how the sound's working. I don't know what the editing is going to be like. I don't know about the music, special effects. I didn't even understand really the entire script because it didn't make enough sense. So, you know, I don't know. It was just like confusing script, confusing shooting, confusing trailers i'm like and then when i saw the film i was like yeah this is good so you know of course what i wanted to do was you know crawl in a hole and die <laughs> um but i'm like you know my friends are asking me about it they know about it because it's getting buzz on the internet so you know people are fans are contact or potential fans are contacting me people are wanting to interview me and i'm like well all right i do not have the power to bury this and so therefore i i guess i'm going to have to write it the best i can and so I, you know, I tried to speak positively about the film, truthfully, but omitting maybe some details. Um, <laughs> and, and just figured, well, 
you know, and then and then once it got moving along, I'm like, well, as long as it's happening, I might as well see if I can get something out of this, right? They say no publicity is bad publicity. Maybe I can get a better gig. Maybe I can get some money out of this project. Maybe you know whatever. So I just figured, fine, I'll I'll do what I can with it. It's painful, you know. I mean, every actor that watches themselves can pick apart their own performance, even on a even with a good script and a good director. And you know, I can rip apart my own performances internally. And obviously a lot easier to do on, on this film. So I'm like, what, whatever, I'm just going to have to, I mean, I've done a lot of improv comedy, so I'm no stranger to making an absolute fool of myself in public. For fun. <laughs> so I'm like, whatever, people are going to beat on the film and uh, I'll just deal with the negative and try to see how much positive can come from it. Um, you know, there was that fan, that, that fan group was started by, on Facebook that you meant, that was started by an actual fan. And then the guy became so, he was still interested, but so dormant. I eventually said, well, you want to make me a moderator? Because I'll, I will pay attention. I will occasionally make sure that people are at least get into the group because they apply to get in and they couldn't get in. And I interact on there, but somewhat circumspect. You know, I, I do make a few jokes. Sure. I do make a few jokes, but so I, I sort of stay a little, um, you know, a little, a little engaged with what's going on. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I saw some of your posts there. And I think uh, some of the people in that group, they, they don't really disdain the movie at all. They kind of see it as a curious artifact in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways that's, it's like enduring legacy is that it's, it, it's just, there's some strange things about it, you know? It's, it's definitely an experience, uh, watching it <laughs> on your podcast uh i liked what one of the one of the guys said i don't i can't remember if it was you or somebody else but late late in the discussion of after last season they were saying something like um you know maybe his idea was that when you have your routine life but there's science fiction reality elements intruding into your real life and there's also maybe murders happening in your community like you don't know all those things they're happening to you as you're living your mundane life and he said, maybe that was Mark's conception. And maybe it was. And from that perspective, uh, some of the foundational pieces of the construction of the film, yeah, they're reasonable thought as starting points. Now, it's the execution and the conclusion and the polish where it all falls apart. Yeah. But um, that, was sort of an, that was an interesting perspective that I hadn't really thought about. Because, you know, I thought about not that much because people haven't really asked me, but, you know, I thought like, you know, you know, how did this be this way? I mean, is it just, was it a, a poorly formed concept or a great concept with poor execution? But I think maybe it was an unusual concept with um, unusual execution. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that sort of thoughtfulness, it doesn't like especially convey in the film, you know, it's, it's just all kind of confusing. And, but I, I do wonder like how much of it was supposed to like have this naturalism to it that is maybe there in some of the improvisational dialogue or dialogue that seems to be talking about totally unrelated stuff. Um, how much were you asked to improvise on set? So as far as I know, no dialogue was improvised. What did happen was even though he said, like, even though it was clear that English was not his first language, even though he, he, he denied that it was clear both from his writing and from speaking to him in person, that it wasn't his first language. And so what typically happened is the lead actress and I completely rewrote our scenes 10 minutes before shooting them to make them more, you know, colloquial, natural vernacular. 
And so we weren't improvising. And, and, and I think that she, I mean, the doctor was an experienced actor, but he wasn't there very long. Uh, she and I were there a lot. And I don't think anyone had near the level of experience that she and I had. So I don't think anyone else did that. Um, and so as far as I know, it was all scripted. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would occasionally, I, I mean, in the beginning I would ask, and then eventually I gave up. I'd ask Mark, like, you know, what else about Matt? You know, what, what else is going on here? What else do you want out of him? What else are you thinking about him? And, and he's, he's basically like, he's just a regular guy. No, just, just, you know, so I, I think he wanted it very routine. Um, and, and I'll, okay. So I'll say something about the shooting process. So, you know, in a normal film, you shoot the master close up of this actor, all their dialogue and close up and all the reaction shots and whatever. Um, none of this was filmed that way. I don't think we ever shot an entire scene through with two actors acting out the scene. He had, you know, he had his, his hand drawn storyboards. He knew in his head in advance what shots he wanted in the final edit. And so I think basically to avoid using a film stock and avoid spending time editing, he didn't shoot coverage at all. He would be like, I know, I know, you know, he, I, can, uh, I think probably one of his head is, I want three seconds of master shot at the beginning of this scene and three seconds at the end. So I'm only gonna shoot three seconds of master of the beginning couple lines and three seconds of master of the ending couple lines. So we didn't shoot a whole scene. We would just do a couple lines, couple lines. And then when it came to close-ups, um, certainly for every single one of my close-ups, there are no other actors in the room. No one is speaking to me. I am just, he would just say, stand here, look that way. The camera's set up here. I would say, how tight is it? And then he would say, say this line from that scene. And I would say it. And he'd say, now say that line from this scene. And they were all massively out of order. And I think what it was is he knew what frame and position and framing, whatever that he thought he needed for these specific lines at these specific points in the film. So I'm just speaking to empty space. It's near certainty that there is never actually an actual reaction shot in the film. Like it's never an actor or never me hearing somebody and reacting to them. What it usually, what I think, what I think always happened was, you know, you're standing there, you're waiting. And then you hear like, you know, lights, you know, rolling, sound, action. And then you wait a beat. You want to make sure the, the word action has faded from the dialogue. Maybe you're setting yourself mentally. So there's a couple seconds of like, you're just, you're just blank, you know? And then you're like, and then you take a breath and then you, you do your line or what, or a couple lines or whatever. And what I think he did is he used those blank moments. Think, I think in his head, maybe he thought that is the reaction to the previous line of dialogue that he knows he will be editing in. Or maybe in some cases he actually cut that piece out and said, this is the reaction. So like, I feel confident for me that every reaction shot for me is just me going, waiting for, waiting for like, waiting to begin acting. And probably, probably for the lead actress too, because she and I are in the most of the film. We spent most of the time together. We were under the exact same shooting conditions and the process was the same. Um, and, the, and part of the reason why, and you could even see, there's a point like, I don't know, halfway through the film where like, I start speaking a line, like six words in, I, I, I just misspeak, whatever. So I stop, I wait a pause to leave for an edit point, and I restart the line, assuming that the first part will get cut out. It's not, it's in the film. You'll see, I, I start speaking, I stop speaking, and then I restart speaking the exact same line, only correctly. And so like the, the amount of editing on this film was minimal. Um,
Interesting. Because there wasn't even much to edit. It wasn't like you had a whole bunch of master and a whole bunch of close-up of this actor, all their dialogue, all their close-up. The reason why there are no other actors in the room is we are filming most of this film for like five days in a row in northern Massachusetts in January in a non-heated space. And we're wearing light street. And I didn't know that was the case. So I didn't bring like thermal underwear or whatever else. So we are freezing to death while we're shooting this film. And so basically when it isn't your close-up, you've left to go someplace warm. And you can actually see, and this, this is what I noticed in the trailer. I noticed, which is why I knew that like, oh God, this is worse than I thought. I can see that my nose is red, that I can see my breath in some of the shots, that my face is like pale from the cold. <laughs> and I don't know if it shows up in the trailer, but definitely in the film, there's times where I'm lisping because my lips are so cold, I can't speak properly. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that's how cold I was when I was shooting. But then when I watch it, I go, oh, you know, um, yeah. So, well, although, although even with all that, I mean, there was times where like, I'm sitting across from the lead actress and we've locked eyes and we're doing our dialogue, which is not terribly emotional, but whatever. But like, I feel like she's really present. She is really there. And I feel like, okay, we are not exciting characters. We are not doing an exciting scene, but we are really in the moment here. And it felt good, even though I know that the scene itself was like, yeah, no one's gonna really care. And there was a comment in the YouTube about um, something like, I feel like the actors must've been lied to because they, they're, develop, they're delivering these ordinary lines with such sincerity. And I'm like, yeah, we are, but we just have much to work with. Um, Not much of an opportunity to give like an organic sense of like interacting with the different actors and like what your interiority, your character might have in this situation or anything like that. Well, and here was the other thing that I, that, you know, I knew when I got back before I ever saw the film, I was telling my friends, look, we're probably going to seem schizophrenic because a single scene might be composed of lines that were shot over multiple days. One line on day one, one line from day three. That's and so like your energy, the time of day was it shot in the morning or the night. What was your energy level like? Are you currently fighting a virus because you've been freezing for three or four days? Uh, are your lips frozen? Like, were you, did you just you know did you just walk in from a warm area, or you've been sitting in this cold area for ten minutes before they shot this? And so like in a single scene, the amount of like variability in each actor. I figured it's probably going to be like if you pick it apart, and I haven't, but I'm sure if I like studied scene, I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way that line was shot on the same day as that line. Like that, you know, that line was clearly shot when I was warm and recently fed, and this line was clearly shot days on another day when I was freezing to death and tired and cold and you know whatever. <laughs> um, so it may, so I think that probably contributes to the effect of the film because the actors themselves are, they just you know. You know, late in, late in the film where there wasn't anything written for the script, so I didn't really, I didn't really know what was happening. You know, the director would basically like, stand there, look that way and react. Okay, what are we reacting to? Well, just look over that way and walk. And so like, you know, walk slowly to the left. Okay, this is what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm like, where is that footage going to end up in the film? Am I reacting appropriately to the thing? Because I don't even know what the thing is. And I, you know, I was... I, some, I don't know when I saw it. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Three Colors films by the famous famous Polish director, uh, Krzysztof Kieslowski. Kieslowski, I think, yeah. Kieslowski, yeah. And there's this behind the scenes with uh, uh, Juliet Binoche saying, 
she was talking about some scene she did where she's like in a car and I don't know. And she's like, I don't know what the scene was about. I don't know what I was supposed to be doing, but the director said, did do this. So I did that. You know, it's kind of like you're a meat puppet. And, and I feel like, okay, for, for parts of this film, I was a meat puppet. And what they, you know, what even what they say in Hollywood is like, you have to trust your director because your director has good ideas and good execution, you will look fine. And if they have not good ideas or not good execution, you can look terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> like, I don't know how that footage is getting used. I don't know if it was appropriate to where it will get used because I'm not even sure what it was I was supposed to be doing. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, Mark is not Christoph Kieslowski. So yeah. I think some of that stuff did not work out the way you'd hope. <laughs> right. Let's let's talk about Mark for a minute. So I, I'm curious, do you have any relationship with him at this point? Do you keep up with him at all? I mean, I kept emailing him periodically because fans would contact me and they would, they, you know, film school wanted to show it in California and have, have people fly out and do Q and A. Brooklyn Academy Music wanted to show it, have a Q and A. Theaters wanted to engage it. Fans wanted to like have me autograph things and people wanted to do Q and A's and documentaries and buy, buy DVD copies. So I would periodically email about the film about like, you know, How's it going? How did you plan? You know, you said you were going to work with distributors. How did that work out? I, I found this opportunity, whatever. And so we corresponded periodically until about 2015. And then at some point after that, my contact information just became no good anymore. And I couldn't reach him. I'm like, you know, and I know people have tried to find him since then. Uh, doesn't seem to really want to communicate. So um, I have not, not kept up with him. Gotcha. And you mentioned that it didn't seem like English was his first language. And I, I need to, you know, if I ever watch the film again, think about the dialogue and the, the story from that perspective. But um, what were some of your other impressions working with him? I mean, you've mentioned in the past that he seemed like a nice guy. What else yeah. can you say about him? I mean, you know, when I got back from the film experience, you know, I was writing to friends about it. I was like, you know, he's, he's dedicated, he's passionate, he's really hardworking. He's actually quite organized. I mean, because you know, it's it's not easy work to do. I mean, the the crew was really just him and the the cinematographer, and you know, okay, the sets aren't good, but still, things had to be physically prepared and moved and put into place and and you know, built. Although in some cases, the building was not much of anything, but you know, um, there is. There is set dressing, not much, but, you know, in other words, there's a lot of, you know, you've got to get power and lights. And he, he, we had we had big movie lights, not the right placement <laughs> of them, the right use of them. But like, you know, they had a boom mic. They had like, like, and he's doing this mostly himself. He's like the producer, the director, the, the writer, the... You know, he's, he's doing, and, and he's doing a lot of these jobs himself. And that's not easy work, even, even, you know, to do it at all, even without polish is still takes time and, and effort. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed friendly. Um, you know, there's, there were theories about, you know, is this money laundering or, you know, whatever else, like it could be, but that's not what I would, you know, I would, I would guess either. You know, that claimed budget, I would guess either somebody ripped them off or, you know, ind independent productions like to talk up their apparent cost 
to make themselves sound like a big expensive thing so a distributor might pay more for it. So maybe it was just, you know, in a sense, puffery. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, during the shooting, I don't know what it's going to look like through the lens. I don't know what it's going to sound like through the boom mic. I don't know how it's going to be edited. So like, you know, it's so like, okay, this is not, there's clearly a lot of problems with how this is being shot and how it's being set up. But, and so clearly, whatever, he's not experienced. He's not like super competent or whatever, super skilled, but, but like, he's working hard, you know, and he's, he's, He's got ideas. Yeah, my uh, my co-host Brian, he he ran a public access TV show for a better part of 10 years. I think it was like 8 or 9 years, and I got to participate every now and then. And one thing that always struck me is that there's just so many little pieces you got to put together. So even it's like it's like the final quote from Ratatouille when the critic is like talking about how the quote-unquote average piece of junk has more value and effort in it than we probably ever acknowledge. It's like, even to make something is kind of cool, at least from my perspective, it's like you're putting yourself out there. You're like, like you said, there's a lot of physical details required to even do something like, especially if you're shooting on film, you know, there's like, and you, you have a rental space and stuff. So, you know, there, there is at least some amount of like basic physical competency that's required, like logistical operations required to, to make, make a thing. Yeah. So. And I mean, you know, the, you know, in indie filmmaking, the adage often is like to even finish a film, like finish it where it gets edited. And because how many how many indie projects either never finish shooting or finish shooting but never finish editing? So to even complete a film, it's a mark of accomplishment to a degree. And this film was finished, and and th although I was not sure it was ever going to see the light of day, and then what I was being told is it's never going to have a DVD release. It's only go to theaters. And so I'm like, okay, people are already talking about this film. People are going to talk about this film. I need to have seen this film. I drove to Rochester, New York to see the film in a theater. And there were people in the theater. I drove in order to see it because I'm like, otherwise I might never see this film. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, he said, no, we're not going to release on DVD. So I'm like, okay, then I guess I'm only going to see this film if I drive to Rochester. Yeah, better see it. Yeah. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think on the mark, I took a picture of the marquee. I think on the marquee was like one of the Star Trek films at the same time. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You know, it's a big old Cinemark theater. I saw on IMDb that he's credited with a short film, Medium Waves. Do you know anything about that? I mean, I've heard about it. I've read people talking about it. It apparently has a lot in common with the themes and some of the specific elements of after last season but i haven't seen it and so i i don't really you know i don't know anything about it other, other than what anybody else could find via google and yeah you know, of course via. yeah because i i spent five minutes googling it and i'm not the world's best deep dive internet searcher but i didn't i didn't come across a copy of it or anything like that so one thing that i was kind of curious about and you touched on this a little but you know thinking about troll 2 there was a documentary made by that where some of the cast members have kind of owned it as this famously so bad it's good movie. And then you have The Room, which has also taken on a life of its own. It sounds like Mark has no interest in that and that, you know, I can respect that. But I'm curious, have you ever been interested in like, you know, reclaiming it and, and buying in on some of the enthusiasm, even if some of it's tilted negative or at least fascinated, I guess, with with how people are perceiving this film? Yeah, I mean, well, so I think it's pretty clear that Mark does not want to. I mean, he has, he had he had so many opportunities. Theaters wanted to book this film. 
and people still wanted to buy DVDs and, you know, and, and film schools wanted to host us. So clearly he's not going to embrace, you know, and I think it was his passion project and he didn't, I don't think he under, realized how it would be received. And I don't think he's happy with how it received myself. You know, when I saw the trailer, I'm like, you know, of course, half of me is like, oh, I want to die and crawl under a rock and just disappear, but I can't make the project go away. So uh, I might as well embrace it the best I can, do the most I can with it. So absolutely, starting starting with before the film even made it to the theaters, I started like, okay, like, uh, although this is the first time I've ever spoken publicly about the film, there's been a lot of discussion about, will you come for a Q&A? And I would say, so I, I basically always said, yes, I will. But the problem is they couldn't get the rights to show the film. So never have. There's a guy who wants to do some kind of Q&A in New York City uh, sometime in the next few months. And... Uh, uh, I assume it will not include a sh film showing, but I don't know what his plans are. That. But like, sure, I said, sure, I'll come to Brooklyn or wherever it is to do your Q&A. Uh, but none of them actually ever actually happened. But like people have talked about doing sequels and anniversary things and whatever. And I was always like, yep, I'm available. Sure. You want to do that? I'll do it. I mean, assuming it works out with my, with my life and schedule are, but like, right. you know, Basically, yes, I am. I embraced. I embraced what I am. I embraced the ride that I am on, I, and I, I, I still mostly stayed kind of circumspect about embracing it. But I, I make it pretty clear that, like you know, yes, you want to. Pe people at one point there was people in California that wanted to do a sequel and they wanted me to come out there, and I'm like, sure, you know, let's just you know when you when you're ready to talk details, let's talk it now. The project fell apart. Sure, they back to me, whatever. But like you know, you know, I said sure, I'll I'll do whatever. Uh, people want to do documentaries. Um, I don't think any of them have ever, you know, things got in the way and they never actually did them. But I'm like, sure, I'll be in your documentary. So, uh, yes, I, I've embraced it. <laughs> gotcha. No, it's, I mean, that's respectable. It's in some ways it's, uh, I've, I've, I've read different artists kind of reflecting on having a legacy at all. And like, what is that legacy? And to some extent, it's kind of cool that, I, I don't know, putting myself in your shoes that, even if it's like a project that the outcome itself might not be a thing that you would be proud of, like even being involved in something that people are still talking about and still curious about. And there's, there's some kind of appeal to that. I think, I don't know. It, it is certainly interesting that this many years later, I still like a couple times a year, I get somebody emailing me or Facebook messaging or whatever, like wanting to ask me questions or say that they enjoyed the film or, and I was right back. What did you like about it? Because I'm, I want to know. Like, how did this work for you? I've had people make me T-shirts and send me DVDs to autograph and stuff like that. So, like, people are still engaged with it, and that's interesting. I suppose. And and that and that's that's kind of like um, you're not the first podcast to ask me. Although the last one was probably a few years ago. But I'm like, ah, you know what? Does, you know what's the point? And 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 I'm really more of a film oriented person anyway, so I'm like I'm I'm excited to be in a documentary podcast. Didn't really excite me that much. I'm like, why talk about it? like what's what's the point? And th but now it's like, well, first of all, I started listening to more podcasts on my own, and so I'm more oriented towards them. But also, it's like, all right, there's nobody in the know about this film that's talking about it. Like, Mark's not talking about it. The lead actress, she's not talking about it. I know some of the other co-stars who probably would talk about it, but they're not really in the public eye and they're not trying to be. And they, you know, so I'm like, okay, they're still curious. This long, this many years later, people are still curious about this film and nobody's talking about it. So I'm like, okay, I should finally talk about this film because I've never talked about the film 
publicly you know, to, and to my friends yes but yeah so i'm like <laughs> you know it's it's clearly a phenomenon not a big one it could be bigger i mean you know if if dvds could be purchased if it could if sequels were made if the rights were available if you know you know if, if showings were happening it would probably be a bigger phenomenon um there was a there was a comment from somebody who watched the film and like get really high and then watch the film <laughs> so you mentioned well you kind of already talked a little bit about the budget so that seems to be one of the topics of enduring fascination with this film. Oh yeah, it's you know it started it started you know at the very beginning you know when the first claims went out in articles that it was five million. I'm like yeah, there's no way it was five million, and my thought had always been that was simply, you know, puffery. You know, just for for example, as far as I know, he got free access to the space that most of the film was shot in, and it was basically some unused retail space and warehouse and storage space. And it was large and it was empty. And I believe, like I said, I believe his access was free through family connections. Um, but, you know, what does, to make your budget sound good, you know, the, the value contributed to the, just like if someone lends you a fancy sports car for free for your independent film, okay, it costs you nothing, but the value it adds to the production is the equivalent of, you know, the thousands of dollars it would have cost you to rent that sports car for a day or a week or a month. So you, so, Indie productions will say, we had a budget of this, but what, they really, what they're really saying is, this is what the budget would have had to have been had we paid for everything. So I, I assume maybe some of that was the case, where it's like, well, maybe he got the effects done on the cheap, and maybe he got the, and maybe he got this, the shooting space for free, and maybe he got the film stock for free for all that. Like, so maybe that was it. But then it was um, other people have been brought up, maybe he was ripped off. Other people have brought up money laundering, all that kind of stuff tax schemes, you know, whatever. And like, I, I don't know, you know, no idea. Yeah. Although, although personally, you know, after the audition, I'm like, wow, this is like, so the audition was a little weird. It was, it was done in the, I don't even know if they have them. Like Barnes and Nobles used to have coffee shops in the corner of the coffee shop. Okay. Yeah. And that's where the audition took place. You, you know, we're in the middle of a Barnes and Noble in the middle of a coffee shop with people all around us drinking coffee and buying books. And that's where the audition takes place. Really? Which is a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, luckily, because I've, I've, done, I've done some weird and high pressure auditions before. I've done a lot of improv comedy. So like, I'm capable of just like, I don't care who's around me. I don't care what they think of me. I'm going to do what I feel I need to do to, you know, perform this scene or do this. So basically like we're in this coffee shop and we're dishing like, I'm just, I mean, I obviously I cut my volume down some because, you know, we are in public, but like. Yeah, it's, it's like a library or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's like, if people are going to look weird at me, oh, well, look at me weird. I don't care. I'm doing this. So we had the audition. That was strange. But I'm thinking, okay, this is union compliant. It's full time because we're shooting. I'm shooting for like five or six days, like five or six days straight. It's it's paid not well, and I'm like, oh, and it's shot on film, and I mean, I'm not a film expert, but I thought between like the film costs, developing, printing, negatives, editing, like that's got to be like you know fifty thousand dollar budget or something. I'm like, this is the this is the highest budgeted film I've ever done. This is like this is gonna be great. You know? <laughs> that was, actually, when I got cast, I was like, I was, I was excited, but I I don't know where the money went. Clearly, you couldn't have spent five million on this. 
unless you were unless you were ripped off, you know. Yeah, yeah. The explanation that it went to the CGI really doesn't stand up to scrutiny. I mean, you know, I'm no artist, but I feel like I could have done what what was in there if, with a day of practice and some sort of rendering software. And as someone pointed out in our when we were talking about it on the podcast, this was the same year that Avatar came out. So it's not like the early days of CGI or anything like that. Not that you'd expect Avatar out of that, but, you know. Yeah. How often do you watch the movie? Like, do you ever go be like, hey, you know, be a, a you know, be a gas right now as to put on after last season. So so I'm not a fan of bad cinema. Um, OK, like I've never actually seen The Room. I've seen the James Franco movie about The Room and enjoyed that. But I've never actually watched The Room. Um, I mean, I'll watch I'll watch a bad film if I'm in it. <laughs> and I'll watch a bad film if a friend of mine directed it or is a star of it. But other than that, I don't really watch bad films. So I saw After Last Season in the, in the theater. And then I had friends that insisted on a mass screening. So I saw it with like 40 of my friends together in a very large apartment. Um, and I don't... So I've seen it twice back in 2009. And I haven't watched it since. I did buy the Rift Tracks. Although due to some weird issue on their store, I can still go back and re-download my purchase of the Rift Tracks. But if you go to the store right now, you won't find it to purchase. They screwed up their store catalog, and I don't think they realized which titles have dropped out. They actually had to fix it for me to even be able to buy, to re-download my purchase. Um, but even though I bought the Rift Tracks, I have not rewatched the film with the Rift Tracks. <laughs> uh, you know, now now if someone's, if someone's doing a public screening, which I guess would not be legal, but, you know, whatever. Um, people have invited me to public screens. I wasn't sure I'll go, but none of them actually happened. So basically, I've seen the film twice in 2009. Although, to be fair, even for my other films, I'm very interested in watching them once. I'm rarely interested in watching them more than once. Um, uh, you know, because, I mean, I rip apart my own performance. Um, and even there's been a few films, like there was a, an indie comedy called Burial Boys. And I'm like a small, I'm like a medium small part in it but it's like a ridiculous comedy i'm like this flamboyantly gay hairdresser makeup artist whatever and that film is just you know i mean it's, it's somewhat entertaining and so i've seen that i didn't like watch it on my own but like i've seen it more than once in different contexts um there's um a short film i did called the safe room and it's like a first time director and we're shooting in a very rushed single afternoon so there's parts where I go like, oh, God, I don't like what I did there. Why didn't did the director even notice? Why didn't he say, Jason, I didn't believe that? Like, do it again. But like overall, I thought the director was really good for a first-time director. Like you wouldn't think he's a first-time director, I think, if you watched the film. And I liked his concept. I liked his script. I liked his execution. I liked 90% of what I did in there. So I will watch that and be like – and I've watched it more than once. Sometimes because i have to about to send it to somebody or someone else. And I'm like, you know, yeah, that's – I like that. That that worked out. That worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, but most of my projects, you know, whatever it's whether it's how polished the project is, how good the script was, how good the execution was, how big my part was, how good I feel about what I did in it. There's been some other. There's been some other short films that like came off well, and I was happy enough with most of my performance that like it didn't like make me, you know, go like, oh God, I don't want to see that again. You know, like I'll, I'll watch. I'm glad I watched it once for the learning experience to be like, okay, that did not work. And I really wish the director had also felt the same or had noticed or whatever. Sure. But 
you know, and in some cases, like, well, we only had time for one take anyway. So whatever you did, that's what you did. So I don't generally watch the things I did. I think the first film I ever did, old man, first feature, no, yeah, first, first film ever, actually. It was a feature film. I was the star or co-star, old man. And that I think I've seen more than once uh, in various contexts. But no, there's, other than the occasional short, like some of the 48-hour films have been funny yeah. and interesting enough. And, I, and, and I'll go rewatch some of those every, you know, whatever. It's, it's usually in the context of somebody wants to do a film project and they'll be like, can we, what, what do you have that you can show me that's posted somewhere? And I'll be like, let me look through it. And I go, oh, yeah, I like that one. That was kind of good. And I might go, but I don't want to send it to them. Or oh, I like the one and I'll send it to them. But like, I'll enjoy the rewatching yeah, yeah. Of, of some of them. So easy when it's shorter like that. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's like a short film has to be more focused. And if it isn't, you're not going to watch it. It's three minutes that you're never going to, you know, three to five, it's five minutes that you're never going to watch. Or if, it, if they accomplished having sufficient focus and polish, it's just five minutes to watch it. You'll watch it and you're done. Yeah, exactly. Done. Um, so, but a feature has so much room to be like, oh, it was weak in the middle or dragged on at the end. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an hour and a half investment to watch the film. And are you going to, are you going to do that unless you like really like the film and really like seeing yourself in it or whatever? Well, you mentioned you're not a fan of bad cinema, but you know, I imagine being an actor, you probably love movies in general. What are some of your favorites? Like what, what draws you to, to the movies? So I would say, uh, uh, probably pretty boring stereotype. Like I'm into science fiction and fantasy a lot. Okay. And, like, uh, I always have been, uh, I'm a martial artist. I've dabbled in my own like special effects and filmmaking. Uh, I'm into video gaming and, and digital creation and a little bit of 3d modeling and programming. And, um, so I'm drawn to like spectacle and visual films, you know, star Wars, the matrix, probably almost any superhero film, even if it's not very good. Sure. Yeah. Those are the things that, those are the, those are the things that I gravitate to. And then there's, you know, I mean, and they're the things I remember, like, you know, there's a movie just in the past couple of years. Oh, it's a woman and her child locked in like a shed. Oh, uh, room. I think it's called. Yeah, it's like, it's like room, but not the room it's room. And like, that was a really, to me, that was like a very touching, powerful film, but I don't necessarily remember how much I enjoyed it, you know? Um, or like, I forget some of the, like, I remember the spectacle films because my, my, I'm mostly oriented towards science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. You like the fun stuff and action. Yeah. But I mean, th but there have been films that, that aren't that, that I still thought were fantastic. I just don't remember them. You know, unless I put enough thought into them, like um, I thought, Groundhog Day is a Zen romantic comedy. And I thought from that perspective, that's great. Princess Bride. Like to me, I love some of the kind of dry humor in there. Um, what was the one I was thinking about? There's a there's a, a movie that never really got much notice called Dot the I. And it's the letter I. And it's got um, Gail Garcia Bernal in it. Okay. He's like the star, the co-star. And... I, I saw that film at like an indie film house when it came out and I, it was just, it's this film where it's like, it's full of twists and turns, like layers, you know, it's like, you think you know what's happening, 
and then you learn a layer and then you learn another layer. And uh, it's not it's not a deep message, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. So there's been a lot, lot, lot of films where like I thought the message was really good, but I don't necessarily remember how much I loved them. Sure. You know, unless I keep a list or something, which I don't. But I do. Yes, I do like films. I do. And I mean, being in films is a lot of fun. I can imagine. Yeah, that's like I said, my uh, my friend, the co-host, Brian, he did his uh, public access show and we always got a kick. We did a few screenings of his episodes at like house parties and stuff. And it's it's fun to see, even if it's a little silly, it's fun to see yourself in there. And maybe less so if, you, if it's like your professional craft that you're trying to work on and you're being self-critical about it. I can I hear that and understand that. But it is I respect the going in there and putting yourself in there. And, and, and there's there's something exciting about that. So, yeah. Well, there's a thing, too, that some some famous Hollywood actor said this. And, and, and I didn't think about it. He said it was like, oh, this is right. you know, to a lot of actors, being in a film is like a drug. The drug is the performance when you're there on set. And then when that's over. What you're looking for is your next hit. So you don't necessarily care about what you were just in. What you want to do is be in another one because you're getting to do these unusual experiences and step outside yourself and play. And, and that's, that's what you really, that's what, that's what you really love about filmmaking is that it's almost like a, it, it is, it's a high, you know, if, if, if somebody said like, you know, Here's a bunch of money, and we'll fly you any of the world, anywhere in the world. Have any vacation you want. Put you in a hotel, whatever else. Or you can come do this film, and you know, suffer and freeze, and you know, have a sleepless night. Anyway. Which, what's the most fun to you? I want to do the film. You know, like, so, you know, loving performing isn't quite the same as loving watching films. Like, you know, the, the people that analyze, like the podcast, like yours. You know, the people that are analyzing and watching films. You know like films in a different way than in the way that I like films. I, although I do obviously like them, but, and I can analyze them, but I often, I don't even, a lot of times I don't even try, you know, I watch some not terribly great superhero film and I'm like, yeah, that was you know, <laughs> whatever. Did uh, you see black Adam this past year? I did. Yeah. And, uh, I liked it. Okay. You know? Yeah. I haven't I seen that one, but the, what, what my friend said is that's exactly what you're describing. It's like you go in and you get a blast of, kinetic energy and excitement and fantasy action. And then you're kind of done. You're like, well, I don't know if that was good, but I, I had fun time and I had a bag of popcorn. So hour and a half or two hours or whatever it is well spent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I like doing all kinds of things. You know, I've played paintball and, and skydiving and do martial arts. And like, you know, I like to like do, I, I, I guess I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. And so a film like that is kind of like, is a way to sort of get a little tiny taste of that, but you don't have to go anywhere or do anything. You know, you're just sitting in your movie chair watching it and like, you know, yeah, I like that feeling because it's the one little hint of, of, of the kinds of feelings I like to experience in, in real life activities. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's cool. I'm sure you're a busy man and I, I really thank you. This was uh, enlightening for me and always like I said, I'm out of the interviewing game, and this is the first time we've had someone involved with one of the films on our podcast. But I really appreciate you spending an hour here talking with me, an hour or so. And um, you know, before we we sign off, I guess is there anything that you wanted to pitch or anything you wanted to add on before we we wrap here? You know, the only thing I would say is uh, you can look up Nutmeg Junction, which is um, 
a website. It's a Facebook. There's a private and a public Facebook group. And uh, I know we've got some presence on podcasts and YouTube. I think the YouTube presence was a little dormant, but I think they were reviving. I don't know. But that's that's where we do the radio teleplays. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, they're sometimes done a, a little bit quick. Um, but I think, you know, some of them have been very funny. And some of them have some good drama. And there's a massive variety. I'm, I'm not in all of them, but... I'm in a lot of them, um, and uh, and there's like we have some serial episodic stuff on there that comes in in installments, and then we have like one-off things, and so you know that's because another like I have a film in editing, but it's not out yet, and you know there's not much, not much, other than old footage of me, which you can like you know if you search me on YouTube and around the internet, you'll find bits and bytes of me around, but um, not make junctions a current thing. Okay, cool, yeah. They want to expand viewership and expand distribution, so. Uh, um, oh, okay. send me a link and I'll put it in our episode description and I'll, I'll uh, put it on our discord too. It's slightly conceived as like an old timey radio show. Gotcha. Anyway, yeah. So I'll send a link. Sure. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate you spending the time and best wishes. You've got a rare scoop because no one, I've, <laughs> I've never talked publicly about the film. So you first interview all the time and you've got, you've got what nobody else has. Special sauce. No, I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you.